Hello everyone, my name is Ryan Stacey and welcome to the Hockey Minds Podcast. This podcast is powered by Instat, the leader in video and data analysis. Instat Hockey supports all levels of our game worldwide with video breakdowns and or scouting services. For more information, you can visit Instat on the web at instatsport.com or on Twitter at Instat Hockey. Today I'm drawn by Brent Sullivan, owner of the Carleton Place Canadians. A tenured coach at only 31 years of age, Brent took his playing career and quickly transitioned into coaching, spending time in Ontario, British Columbia, and eventually moving into youth sports before finding himself in Carleton Place. The interview had perspectives from a multitude of angles, and I think listeners will learn a lot as a result. With that, here's Brent Sullivan, owner of the Carleton Place Canadians. Just like in hockey, in basketball it's playoff time. And every day of basketball's playoffs, DraftKings will have $20,000 in total prizes up for grabs. The best part? It's free to get your shot at these daily cash prizes, and DraftKings will be offering two free-to-play pools every day of the NBA playoffs, offering players a free shot at $20,000 in total prizes. DraftKings free-to-play pools are easy to enter. You just download the DraftKings app, go to pools, and choose from a wide variety of free contests for an opportunity to win cash prizes. All you have to do is answer a handful of questions around what you think is going to happen during that day's basketball games and track your results throughout the evening. Questions will range from which team will hit the most threes to which team will score first. DraftKings is safe, secure, and reliable, so you can deposit and withdraw your money at your convenience. Download the top-rated DraftKings app now and use promo code THPN when you sign up to get your free shot at $20,000 in total prizes every day of the basketball playoffs. Head to DraftKings Pools page to get your shot at huge cash prizes. That's promo code THPN for a limited time only at DraftKings. Eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com for details. Today on the podcast, we're joined by Brent Sullivan, owner of the Carlton Place Canadians. Brent, thanks for joining the podcast. Thanks for having me on, Ryan. Yeah, it's uh, it's great to have you on today, and, and we can go into your career. And I know you had experience as a player and also as a coach, so there's a lot to unpack. Uh, let's just start off by learning more about you personally, maybe give some people uh, some insight on where you're from, your upbringing, playing sports in your early years. Yeah, for sure. So I uh, grew up just uh, just inside the Ottawa Valley uh, in a small town of Carp. Uh, Carp's exploded now. I think there's about 20,000 people there, but at the time it was pretty small. Uh, played my minor hockey for the Ottawa Valley Titans, um, you know, growing up there and then had the opportunity to uh, to get drafted to the OHL, but also uh, at the time of 16 was pursuing uh, an NCAA scholarship. So I ended up playing for the Brockville Braves at 16 in the, in, at the time, which was the CJHL. Now it's, uh, now it's called the CCHL. Spent a year there, um, had a real good year, ended up committing to, uh, to Clarkson University, but ended up choosing uh, to pursue the OHL. And so spent four years for the Sarnia Sting, um, four years that were kind of injury riddled and, and a pretty tough, uh, tough, I guess, end to a playing career. Um, and then started to transition into coaching. But, you know, my, my childhood and my minor hockey days are like most Canadian kids. And you grew up in a small town, you spent a lot of time on the outdoor rink and spent time with your buddies and, and then progressed to junior hockey. And so... Uh, the playing career was short, but then was lucky to transition into the coaching world at, uh, at a young age of 21. Yeah, and a lot of people know how how difficult it can be to kind of get started at coaching and kind of get a position where you feel like you can really learn. And 
for you, that was, like you said, a very young age, 21 years old. And that started with the Sarnia team. Uh, just talk about your time with the Legionnaires and your role as an assistant coach and kind of the learning curve in that first position. Yeah, it was an interesting one. So basically what happened was uh, my time with the Sting as a player, I had a lot of concussions. I also had a back issue. I had a, a herniated disc at 16 that, that you know, basically just limited your mobility and every now and then would kind of flare up. And so when I, uh, when I stopped playing in the OHL at 20, I was supposed to be playing for the Carleton University Ravens uh, the upcoming fall. But just because of all of the injuries, I chose to kind of take a year and, and try to reset, which um, you know, in hindsight was, it is, you know, I can look back now and kind of say that I, I do regret it at the time, but, um, you know, in saying that ended up, uh, you know, reaching out to, uh, some people in Sarnia and, and luckily was, uh, able to get on in the junior ranks right away. And so Sarnia Legionnaires really loyal fan base there, which is incredible. You know, obviously having spent four years as a player for the OHL team, I was, I was well known in the community. Um, so I was lucky to be able to hop into a fan base where, um, they're just wild there for the Legionnaires, a lot of loyal and just kind of older uh, who have been following the team for, you know, 30 years and such. So my role was a, was a pretty uh, not laid back one, but more so dip my toes into the coaching world. And so I in the sky, um, I attended every practice and every game and, and, you know, it gave me the opportunity to be able to see things from the press box level and be able to learn how to communicate with players. And what was the real challenge was that I actually knew a lot of the guys from the sting days and, you know, like uh, I was a 1990 birth year and there were 1991s that I had, you know, spent years hanging out with at parties and such in the town. So that was a tough transition to all of a sudden learn how to balance that. But what I do think is that it uh, it actually helped me later on when I was a 25-year-old coach in the university ranks too. It was the same kind of mindset. So I ended up, uh, you know, spending the whole year there. We were a really good team. We ended up winning, I think, 50 or 60 games or something like that. So I got to see it on one end of the spectrum of being really successful. Um that helped later on because I had a couple tough years as coaches as an assistant coach with other programs, but it was a nice way for me to learn uh, and also learn, I think what it took to be a coach from a time consumption standpoint, because, you know, I had to learn to balance full-time work in order to pay for bills at 21 plus, you know, the world of coaching, um, which, you know, I think everyone who gets into it understands that the amount of hours behind the scenes are, are quite extensive. So uh, it was a nice way for me to dip my toes and learn, uh, learn what it took, but then it really made me understand that, you know what, I, I think I could do this for a living. And, and you know, luckily was able to uh, make that true in a couple of years. Yeah. And like you said, it, it, it does take a lot of work and a lot of hours. You know, even minor hockey coaches will see just how much commitment is needed um, when you start to get into those competitive levels. But uh, you talk about trying to make it as a coach and, and continuing on that path. And the next couple of years, you actually would go with a few different programs in the CCHL. Uh, start with Kempville and maybe break down the, the next couple of years and just talk about some of the programs that you were involved with. Yeah. You know, it was quite interesting because uh, like I said, I was, I was a young coach. I was learning kind of the roles and responsibilities at 21 in Sarnia, but then I ended up trying to, trying to play again, um, which again, if we talk hindsight, it's always easy to look back here and, and probably shouldn't have because what I did is I decided to, to go back to Carleton and tried to play. Um, and because of my concussion history, it was a real risk for me to do so. And then it only took three games for me to get my next one. So ended up officially retiring in, uh, I think October, November ish of 2012. Um, and then ended up hopping on with the Kempville 73s, uh, December, January ish. Um, you know, the head coach GM at the time was Pat Malloy and I owe a lot to Pat from just my childhood of working with peak performance as an instructor, doing a lot of my on ice training with him. Uh, so when the opportunity arose just to join him, again, I was 22 turning 23, um, 
recently just coming out of trying to play and actually playing some university games. So I was still um, pretty involved. And so my role there became just running the D and, and learning, um, you know, the time consumption again was the same of going to everyday practice, all the games. Um, don't think we used video a ton. So there was not a much, uh, not much of that kind of commitment outside of it, but it was more so just the the daily involvement and communication with the players. And, and again, progressing, you know, being a junior A coach at 22 was, was fun. Um, you know, and then it ended up uh, becoming something where I ended up hopping on with Canada again the year after. And, and it's funny because, you know, I think every year that progressed, I kept trying to get into the working world and establish myself more so from a career standpoint so that I could start to afford paying bills. You know, I bought a house at 23 and, and you know, wanted to, to grow up a bit in that sense. Um, and then I kept getting kind of, you know, the itch and then ended up, uh, luckily I'm well connected in the Ottawa area. So it seemed like every single year someone would reach out and say, can you come help? And so ended up uh, helping out a buddy of mine, Darcy Finley, when he got the head coaching job in Canada. I lived in Canada at the time. So it was an easy one for me. And, and so um, that was a tough situation just from a team standpoint, because I hopped in at a, at a time when they were in a, a huge rebuild um, and just weren't competitive. And so that was a, you know, I, I've actually said this before to a lot of individuals that I think that challenged me and that's progressed me a lot quicker as a coach than let's say the year we won 50 of 60 games at the Legionnaires, because all of a sudden you're put in a spot where you're focusing less on wins and losses and you're focusing more on the ind individual development. How do you progress a 16 year old player? We had a kid like Taylor Egan who ended up playing for the Erie Otters and then in Charlottetown in the queue where my focus on him was to give him minutes to get him better. But, you know, at times it may have hurt our team a bit. Um, so I ended up doing that for a bit that I think that year itself was pretty challenging for me. Um, just from a love of the game standpoint. Um, and then I had a, a nice career opportunity to be able to go out West. And it was something that for myself, I was managing fitness facilities here in Ottawa with the good life, uh, good life chain. And then had an opportunity to hop on with Steve Nash fitness out West. And, and, uh, as a young kid growing up in the country, I think everybody dreamed at one point of, you know, driving through Saskatchewan, Alberta, and driving down through the Rockies and living around that. And so ended up progressing out there and, and then hopped on with the Sir Eagles for a bit. So um, that's kind of quick in a nutshell how it all it all uh, kind of came together. Yeah, it's, it's always interesting to hear kind of the path and how things go, especially early on, just because as many people know, it, it can be like a, uh, you know, jumping from one team to the next. And, and some people are, might think about it like, you know, why aren't you just with one program? But, mm -hmm. you know, the nature of the business, you know, you're always looking for an opportunity and, and teams are always at different stages. Like you said, you know, with Sarnia, they were very competitive at first with when you were there and then you go into some of these other teams and they're kind of in a rebuild and, you know, different things happen, but you kind of make that transition out West and then you're with the Surrey Eagles, just maybe break down the exact uh, journey of kind of joining that team mm -hmm. And then talk about the progression of your role there as well. Yeah, for sure. And and, and just to touch on kind of the, the comment there too about even just the stability, I guess you could say, of a junior A assistant coach. Like I think what a lot of people don't understand is is and this was you know eight nine years ago is that a lot of these people are volunteers. So for myself, I volunteered for for those positions, and and you know uh, so it's tough to create stability when you know <laughs> the world is getting more and more expensive. And for myself, I always consider myself a very loyal person, and so in both those situations. Um, you know, with Pat Malloy, he didn't return the following year, so neither did I. And then with Darcy Finley, he didn't return, so neither did I, because I was a guy that was very loyal to the individual that brought me in. And so, um, anyways, and in transitioning to how it was in, in Surrey, I think that was a real interesting situation there, because for myself, that was where I think I really flipped the switch to focusing more on just work and 
And so I got into the, uh, you know, the Steve Nash fitness world as a general manager of, of a fitness facility in the lower mainland there in Surrey, uh, more of a South Surrey, White Rock area. I think when people understand the West Coast, Surrey is almost broken into, there's North Surrey and then there's South Surrey. Uh, North Surrey is a little rougher and South Surrey is more retiree and you're down by the water. So fortunately, I was in the retiree down by the water area. Um, so for myself, I was focusing on work and, you know, it was actually quite an interesting, I remember the exact moment where, uh, some Surrey Eagles players came into my gym to hand out season tickets. And one individual was Justin LaForest and Justin LaForest is from Almont here. And we both were looking at each other thinking, how do we know each other? You look familiar. I look familiar. Uh, and then we ended up just asking each other and found out we're from 15 minutes away from each other back home. Um, Ended up progressing into, I got asked to come play some shinny hockey and started skating around some of the retired guys there. And again, I was only 25 and just recently played. So um, you know, I kind of made the joke before about how I had the puck about 75% of the time I was playing shinny there. So they ended up asking if I ever thought about coaching. And then I was honest with them and told them this is actually the first year I haven't coached since I stopped playing. So things progressed pretty quick there where, um, again, they were in a very, very tough situation. And I had missed training camp. It was I think it was November at this point. Uh, they may have won one or two games in the first two months. So as a 25-year-old guy coming in, I knew what my role was. It was to really focus on communication with the players, focus on just trying to build relationships, develop these guys, um, instill some proper habits too, and try to teach them what it takes to potentially progress to the next level. Um, and again, it was not focused on wins and losses. And so it, that was really tough. And, and what ended up happening was I was brought in more in a situation just to kind of spot some pucks at practice and talk to guys and, and ended up getting thrown in a position where I was running all practices. I was running all meetings um, and then ended up hopping on the bench and running the, running the back end. So um, was pretty tough because again, thrown into a situation where the team success was just not very good at that point. And, and then, you know, you're not coming in as a savior and regardless, it's kind of a lose, lose situation. Whereas, you know, um, what I was really there for was just to try to get these players better. And a lot of players ended up going on division one WHL. Um, you know, I still talk to a couple guys and, and Paul McAvoy, Jeff Stewart, who are still at Colgate university. Um, you know, it, it's nice to see some guys progress from that group. But um, I think what it really opened my eyes to was a couple things. First off, the Rockies are beautiful. Uh, when you're going on road trips there, I, I still, I still remember guys laughing at me because as a coach, you're in the front seat. And I had my, my eyes glued to the window because we were driving down the Rockies coming from Wenatchee. And uh, I was convinced we were just going to drive off cliff. And I remember everybody else was asleep and everyone else was so calm. You got this guy from the small town of Carp who's driving through the Rockies in a bus, middle of a snowstorm at night. And I was convinced we were going off, but uh, it's absolutely beautiful out there. And so from, from that standpoint, I was really fortunate to get to be able to travel the Rockies and just travel the overall Western, uh, coast there but you also got to see the level of play and you know i got to see guys like you know, the penticton v's trail smoke eaters where they were dominant teams and a lot of those guys have been gone on to play high-end division one some nhl guys and it opened my eyes to realizing that uh, there's some pretty good players across this country and now obviously in the new you know, new role i'm in now i'm excited to be able to to uh set a standard here that we can compete with anybody across the board Definitely. And we'll get into that position, but just talking about the West Coast again, like you said, even just the scenery and, and the different location, you know, it is a big transition. And then you're trying to kind of adapt to the, the hockey and, and you're in a position then where, uh, you know, not really thinking you're going to be coaching and then you kind of start to help out in different areas. And then all of a sudden you're right in the middle of it and on the bench and, and running practices and meetings. But 
you know, the progression and, and things happen quickly. And, and sure enough, you would take another position soon after this time going back to uh, to Ontario and, and working in youth sports. So talk about the transition to that league, kind of how you found yourself back east. And um, again, talk about the difference in coaching at the youth sports level where generally players are a little bit older. Mm-hmm. I think what's, you know, one real positive takeaway I'll take from, uh, you know, being out in the BCHL and with the Surrey Eagles there was that I got to see um, kind of day to day what it was like to be a part of like a high end program as far as just the overall standards there in the BCHL. And, you know, they may have really struggled on ice as far as their competitiveness, competitiveness goes, but from a, you know, a facility standpoint, um, you know, just the overall like interaction with NHL scouts, interaction with division one colleges, um, I got to really take on a, a role where it was like, okay, it, it kind of re-engaged me wanting to be a, a full-time coach. Whereas I was starting to transition a bit more to the working world and just, you know, the, the hockey, the hockey world's exhausting at times. And I think that's what a lot of people take it for granted where, you know, are we fortunate to work in, in sport? A hundred percent. Absolutely. I wouldn't change it for, for anything. Um, but there, it's a very emotional job. It's very up and down. You, you, you rely a lot on the, the highs and lows. And, and so, when you're constantly being put in a position where you're in a lot of rebuilding modes, there's a lot of lows and there's a lot of moments where you wonder if, if what you're doing is impactful in a positive way. And so what the Surrey Eagles situation did though, is it kind of, it kind of fired me up to, to try this um, and to really try to dip my toes and to try to progress. And so, you know, at the time there was uh, the university of Ottawa program here was rebuilding from the, the program being shut down a few years prior. And, and I didn't know Patrick grand major from a hole in the ground. I, I had no connections to him. And, and, I obviously had chosen the other school that was 10 kilometers down the road when I was playing at Carleton. So I had no, uh, you know, no affiliation, no allegiance to the university of Ottawa, but because they were rebuilding, I actually placed a call to Pat about our goalie, Justin LaForest. And I tried to get Justin to go there because I thought that was a good opportunity for him to be a part of a program. And um, conversations ended up progressing from what's your goalie situation to what's your coaching staff to um, you know, how is this uh I didn't think I'd be coaching in youth sports at 25. That's for sure. But I wanted to throw my name out there and say, Hey, if you want to chat, uh, you know, I'm up for it. And I think what people pr- figure out pretty quick about my personality is I'm a very outgoing individual, very driven. Um, and it seemed like Pat liked that. So what ended up happening basically was that, uh, you know, we had a family situation and, and I found out at Christmas about some health concerns in my family. And so I ended up wanting to come back anyways. So I had reached out to Pat and said, listen, I, I'd like to come home. If there's an opportunity here, let's chat. And so I think it was about uh, early February. I ended up, uh, um, because of the health concerns, coming home and, and um, you know, was fortunate that uh, Pat had yet to fill the defensive coach position. And so I went in and I interviewed and, um, you know, was lucky that uh, whatever I said worked and, and you know, uh, ended up hopping on with that staff. And so that was extremely exciting for me again, just because of the fact that I was 25 years old. I still had buddies and former teammates playing in the league. Um, and now all of a sudden I was coaching uh, the rebirth of a program. Yeah. It's uh, it's crazy how things work out and still, like you said, 25 years old, still having friends at that level. It's, uh, you know, uh, again, a situation where you're kind of adapting and as someone who's young trying to work with, you know, like I said, or older players, but mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you were successful in that role and able to, you know, be successful at the youth sports level. And uh, today you're now with the Carleton Place Canadians working as an owner, but also acting as a head coach, general manager. Um, talk about the process of kind of uh, joining the team and owning the team and kind of your outlook for the program here moving forward once COVID is hopefully out of the way. <laughs> yeah, well, well, first off, you know, I, I got to tip my hat to you know, the University of Ottawa, I don't think I, I talked enough about them just because, you know, that was five years of my life where 
um, I went from being a, a volunteer coach in my first year, which a lot of, again, a lot of people don't, don't know, um, to becoming a full-time coach and, and essentially, uh, getting, you know, full on say, and how the program runs with Pat there. And so, uh, I've said this to his face. I've said this in interviews. I've said this all over the place. I owe everything to Pat Grand Matron and, and what he, the opportunity he gave me there because, you know, we talk about all the young progression I've had and okay, I'm being thrown into junior at 21. I'm being thrown to university at 25. I'm now an owner of a junior 18 at 31. Um, my, you know, I got some gray hair spotting up that'll probably argue that I'm probably pushing 40. But, you know, I will say this is that I had, I would not have been ready for this position if it wasn't for my five years at the University of Ottawa. Um, the ability to understand what it takes to run a program from scratch, right? So we had to build something from the ground up. And for those that don't understand the university landscape, it's that you essentially have to make sure your program stays out of the red. So you have to find out how to operate. You have to find out how to budget. You have to find out how to run a program in a successful way financially and then on ice product. So managing recruiting, managing, you know, equipment orders, managing, you know, something as simple as ordering, uh, ordering food for the road or ordering, uh, making sure you're going to Loblaws before to get bread so the guys can have peanut butter sandwiches. Like just so many things that uh, contribute to running a successful program that, now, all of a sudden, transitioning to the owner side, I'm not surprised by a ton of this. I understand things that I think if, let's say, an individual were to, let's say, come out of the pro ranks, buy a hockey team, and then all of a sudden run it, they may not know all the behind the scenes. Whereas, you know, in my situation, I've learned what it takes to, to run a program in a successful way. So in saying that, you know, this, this process here with Carlton Place and Jason Clark was, was an interesting one, whereas I had never been through it before. So... Uh, if you ask me today if it went smoothly, I think so. Uh, I don't have anything to compare it to, but uh, I will say that uh, you know I owe a ton to Jason as well, and just how the foundation he's left me here in Carlton Place. Everybody knows who the Carlton Place Canadians are, and you know if I compare it to where I started out with the University of Ottawa, I've started with a program that needed to reestablish a culture, reestablish a reputation, and have to build that from scratch. And we were able to build it to a national contender, and now I'm taking over something that all of a sudden is is regarded as one of the top programs in Canada. So, you know, that's fortunate right away. Um, the process itself was an interesting one and, and, you know, it came across for, for a couple months, but when we were able to come to an agreement there and, and, you know, we're uh, full steam ahead here. So it's uh, quite exciting for me and I'm sure you have a ton more questions regarding it. Yeah. Yeah. No, it, it's, it's always interesting when you see, um, you know, kind of someone take on that kind of uh, opportunity and that kind of role and, um, I guess just kind of building off, obviously, the team services work that you would have done at the university level and, and taking that now to junior A, uh, maybe just, again, while you haven't been able to do as much on the ice, unfortunately, mm-hmm. just talk about some of the things that you've, you've kind of had to deal with off the ice and um, maybe if there's things that you expected to be involved with and, and things mm-hmm. that kind of came up all of a sudden, like just give some background in, in kind of your role and, mm-hmm. and just how that first little bit has been. Yeah, so it's been it's been challenging, um, but it's been great. Uh, you know, for me, I, I was really excited for the day to come where it was, you know, it was transition day and all of a sudden it became, you know, my team and my business because, you know, for me, I was really itching to put my stamp here and and uh in saying that, you're right. Uh have we had an op- I haven't had a chance to go on the ice. I don't even know if my skates are sharp and Ryan, to be honest with you. I got rust probably everywhere. But in saying that, I'm really excited to be able to get on the ice with these guys. But this gives me a great opportunity to make sure everything's smooth sailing from an administration side. So whether that's planning your hockey camps, whether it's building your staff, speaking to your corporate sponsors, um, you know, talking to season ticket holders, billet families. Um, there's a lot of stuff from an organization standpoint that I got no excuse as to why everything should be ready to go. Um, so that's been a bit, a bit of a blessing in, this, in disguise, kind of some silver lining uh, around this is that 
getting to work from home every day. I'm sitting in front of my laptop and I'm getting stuff done. So it's been, uh, it's been interesting. Um, you know, from the day the takeover got announced, I've spoken to every single player, uh, multiple times, uh, been calling a lot of division one schools, trying to get guys on the radar for a lot. Um, you know, just speaking to guys and, and getting them to know me better because I think that's important. Um, you know, there's, there's a lot out there about me in the press where it's, you know, uh, how outgoing a guy I am, how energetic I am. Um, and I think guys are going to see that and, and see how passionate I am and how much I care about each individual player's success. But at the end of the day, too, I care about the town. I care about, um, you know, I do have some allegiance to Carlton plays. I grew up in the Valley, but I won minor hockey championships in that arena. Um, you know, when this got announced and me taking over, you, you forget about how many people you know when a ton of people from Carlton Place remembered me. And that was nice. Uh, it's nice to not be a stranger coming in. So, um, you know, I, just to kind of reiterate there, I think there's been some silver lining to the the ugliness going on with the lockdowns is that I got my ducks in a row. Staff is being built. Um, and we're going to be ready to go. Yeah, it's, it's you know, it's tough situation definitely for everybody involved. But like you said, at the same time, having that – free time and being able to work from home, you can really, uh, you know, make your way through that transition period and have everything ready for when that opportunity does come. And uh, that's kind of the the way that everybody's kind of approaching the the pandemic and, and trying to deal with that, just kind of get everything organized. But uh, moving forward, before we get into some reflective questions, things like mm-hmm. that, I want to once again, go back over some of your experiences. I know you touched briefly on uh, peak performance hockey and the Steve Nash fitness mm-hmm. world and sports club, just talk about both of those and, maybe give some more insight to, uh, to your positions with, with both clubs. Yeah. So the, uh, the peak performance hockey, that was actually a, that was a great opportunity for me because I think I was about, Oh boy. Uh, I was young when I started there. I was very young. I don't even know an exact age, but, uh, that gave me an opportunity to learn how to even just interact with people, uh, you know, from a coaching standpoint. So whether you're trying to run drills, so it was a lot of coaching and teaching, um, kids for, you know, peak performance has grown into an incredible hockey academy, um, they've spit out a lot of good players and, and, you know, uh, but prior to that, from its grassroots level way back in the day, it was more like a summer camp style. And so a lot of it was some on ice developments, um, learning how to run those too, which now from an ownership standpoint, those are very crucial to running a hockey team is your, your hockey camps and your, your revenue drivers. And so you know, I got to do that for like 13 years or something like that, which was, which was incredible. So, um, what it also led to is it led to a lot of good relationships in the hockey world uh, locally. I, I worked with a lot of guys that I still talk to to this day. Some of my good friends are guys that, you know, I coached with. Um, Pat Malloy was a guy who started out there with me. He's a guy who brought me on and that obviously built into me getting into the coaching world. And, you know, that's, that's what a lot of this, this industry is, is you meet somebody one day, they like you. And then next thing you know, you connect down the road and you get an opportunity with them. So um, grateful for that. Um, you know, and it also, when I was playing too, it gave me an outlet to be able to get some on ice conditioning. It gave me an outlet to, to work on, on my game personally. So I um, was fortunate kind of from both ends there from a work standpoint and then just a personal development standpoint. Um, Steve Nash fitness was an in- interesting one because I had, uh, like I said, I had been working in the fitness industry locally here, but that was my first uh, full on management job where I was the GM of something. And so what that did again, I was 20, I was 24. <laughs> so I had to run a gym of 45 staff at 24 years old, um, which for myself was, there were overwhelming days. Don't get me wrong. But I think what it did is, is, you know, it instilled that work ethic and that, that internal commitment to knowing that kind of everything falls on your shoulders and you had to be the, ul- the ultimate decision maker. You had to be the one that was going to drive success or failures or however it was. Um, 
but you learn the grind and you learn to be the first person at the gym every single day and the, and the last person to leave. And a lot of that has transitioned into me as a coach, you know, uh, right now I'm painting walls and I'm pulling benches off walls. And, you know, there's a lot of that, that I learned from managing the gym where it was, if we needed to get stuff done, I had to do it. So, um, learning that at a young age, when a lot of people aren't necessarily put in those positions, it's tough to challenge them to be that. Whereas myself, I kind of learned like, and I mean, thrown to the wolves a little, and then all of a sudden it was, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta figure it out here quick. Um, and I, I would like to think I did. Yeah, I, I think you did as well. And, um, I always in, like taking on a challenge and I think you see the people who are successful in the game and in, and in their respective areas are those people willing to kind of jump into something there that makes them a little bit uncomfortable and, and work through it. And, um, just kind of even progressing further here and, and talking about, um, your time in, in junior A, uh, you know, the CCHL and BCHL are two outstanding junior leagues and different locations in Canada. Maybe just without going into too much detail, just kind of talk about the differences in, in both leagues and did your coaching style kind of change um, as a result in the BCHL versus the CCHL? Uh, I wouldn't say my coaching style changed. You know, I'm going to be me from start to finish, no matter where I am. Um, you know, I was the same way in university, the same way junior age. You, you know, it's it's doesn't matter necessarily where, but I do think you know it, it's it was ran just it's a different league, and I think from a, a time commitment standpoint, from the players too. Like if you think about the benefits of being in the CCHL, and, and we're a real academic driven league, and of course the BCHL is too. You can't you can't ignore those stats and how many kids they spit up Division One, but. You know, like I, I was spending three to four days on the road as a coach and I didn't have to go to high school. I didn't have to balance the academic side of things. And and from a budget standpoint, too, like it's it's an expensive product out there. So, um, you know, but the level of play was a lot of guys are recruited from everywhere to play in the BCHL. Um, I think the benefits of the CCHL being a league that's that's driven locally here. You know, your furthest trip is two hours away. Um, you're not missing any school. Um, and then you get the the overall program of the U18 up. So. Two completely different models, Ryan, I'd say. And, and you know, obviously, as, as an owner now of Carlton Place, uh, of course, I, I believe in the, pro- the the product or I wouldn't have uh, committed this way. Um, but in saying that, I think that you're starting to see the game transition too. And even from when I started coaching in 2011 to my time in the BCHL in 2014, it's, it's a speed-driven league, um, you know, and, and I think the BCHL was my first opportunity to really see that where it was like, okay, this game's getting faster here. Um kids are getting better. The development opportunities for kids from the grassroots up is better. And so now being in the position I'm in in Carlton place where we have a program that is nationally recognized, which again, I've, I've touched on how, how great that is. And, and the kudos I got to give to Jason Clark. Um, there's a great opportunity to create a development mindset here. We're transitioning to that new game and the game is all about speed and pace and, and, and high, high end skill. I think that was what my first taste was at that time. And then being able to come back to the league and you're starting to see it progress and, and I've recruited directly from the CCHL for the last five years in the BCHL as well. And, you know, all across Canada, um, yeah, Canadian hockey is, is, is very good right now. Yeah, it, it definitely is at a, at a high level. And um, even building on that here, I just want to mention, uh, you know, you're in a position where you've kind of seen both things and you've also kind of seen the game as a player. Mm. Uh, maybe looking back then and kind of looking at now, how much has the game changed? Has that speed really been, been the major change in the game and, uh, at the same time, how often do you find yourself kind of just looking at the game as a whole and kind of reevaluating where it is and what kind of changes need to be made from a coaching perspective? Yeah, I would get absolutely exposed in, in today's game as a player, that's for sure. Uh, but, you know, it's it's changed to a point where, you know, I, I'm really enjoying today's game and today's uh, style. Um, you know, you flip back to 
even 2006. So when I was in Brockville there, uh, I was more of an offensive player and kind of a guy who wanted the puck and wanted to, to play in transition and play with high skill. But then when I transitioned to the OHL, the OHL was a tough league. It was very hard to play. Um, and in Sarnia, we had, I'd say one or two years where we, we struggled where we were in our defensive end. A lot of the time, we didn't have a lot of high end skill. And then, you know, we ended up getting guys like Yakupov, Galchenyuk and, and even Stamkos at one point where, you know, we were able to compete, but, um, the game was hard and it was very physical. And for myself, I think I put myself in bad positions a lot, which, you know, now 10 years later, I could say they really hurt me physically and, and have, you know, uh, ended my career a lot earlier, but you asked me at 17, I didn't think it was a problem. So now in hindsight, as a coach now uh, and being able to coach, I'm able to relate to those players a bit about trying to keep them out of those situations. But also my coaching style is adjusting to the new style because I didn't like the way I played at the end of it all, because I think it was very old school and rugged and, in order for players to survive, they got to be able to, you know, I talk to defensemen all the time about being 200 foot players. Like you got to be able to contribute at both ends of the ice. You've got to be able to be a part of transition plays. You have to be able to make high end skill plays or, or, you know, that's what the game is about now. And even from an offensive standpoint, when we're talking coaching and how coaching styles are, you have to be lenient. You have to be flexible. You have to allow players to play, you know, outside their comfort zone um, and not be so stringent and not be so, so north south and and you know there is some flexibility to hockey now and i think that's just with the day and age of the type of people we're dealing with and, and kids progressing and growing you know to now i'm dealing with like i just drafted some 2006 birth years in march with you know can make me feel sick when i say it out loud but the reality is that uh, kids nowadays they want some leniency and they want some ability to be creative and and learn from their mistakes rather than you know um playing within such a tough structure at times. So I think that there's some difference there. Whereas back in, you know, 2007, 2008, you play my way or the highway mentality was a lot of it, but now it's more about, you know, building trust, building relationship with these players, understanding that they know how to play within your system, but then allowing some creativity as well. So um, kind of bounced around your question there, Ryan, but I think at the end of the day, if I've adjusted to the new style, a hundred percent, absolutely. And if I didn't, I don't think I would be here. That's for sure. Yeah. Great point. And, uh, I think it's just one of those things that you kind of have to constantly look at and, and the people that uh, kind of feel like, okay, they understand the game and leave it at that uh, mm-hmm. unless they, you know, stay relevant, they'll run into trouble. But uh, Adapt or die, I think is what yeah. the, you know, it's something as simple as that, is that if you're not willing to adapt, well, there's a lot of good coaches out there that are. So we'll, uh, you'll see the success. For sure, for sure. And then another question that I ask a lot of people on the podcast, and it might be even harder for you just, coming into a new opportunity now and then the pandemic looking five, 10 years down the road with your long-term goals, where do you hope to be in the game of hockey and just give some insight on, on what that outlook looks like for you. From a personal standpoint, I'd like to be a little slimmer, right? Okay. Maybe lose <laughs> 10 to 15. Uh, no, but I think from a hockey standpoint, like I'm, I'm good where I'm at right now. This is what I want to do. I want to, again, take the current success of the Carlton place Canadians and, and continue to grow. Like, you know, um, are they good? Absolutely. Are they nationally recognized? Absolutely. Um, but I want to, I want to win more Bogart cups. And so there hasn't been one in two years, three years, I guess, considering the pandemic. Um, you know, I want to get back to the RBC cup. Uh, there's a lot of things from a team standpoint that I want to personally bring back. Um, but in saying that too, you know, and that was a big reason why I made some of the hires I did is I brought in two assistant coaches in Carlton place who were a part of those RBC cup finals because I wanted them to understand the hunger behind it and, the desire to get there. And so it's very easy to say that to a player without having experienced it. But if you have people that have lived and breathed and understood what it's like to be in Carlton place in the best of times, which is, you know, the month of May um, 
and then you're, you're heading to RBC and you're, you're challenging for national championships. That's when it's the best. And so, you know, for me, five to 10 years down the road, I want to continue the on ice success for sure. I'd like to be more, more involved in the community with the team. Town of Carlton place is blessed to be a small tight knit community. It's a very, very loyal town. Um, even from a fan standpoint, for sure. But just the people, the people love loyalty. They love consistency. Um, and for me, you know, my fiance and I are about to move to Almont, which is about 10 minutes away from Carlton place. Um, we're excited to be fully engulfed. I eat from a different takeout place in Carlton place every week. Um, I'm trying to get in there and I want people to know that I'm here for the long run. And so to answer your question, five to 10 years, I will still be the owner, head coach, GM of the Carlton place Canadians. Hope to have a family, um, some young kids running around the ice would be great. Uh, but I'm just really excited to be able to build on this culture that's been established and and uh, continue to grow because it's uh, sky's the limit for this group and sky's the limit for this town and, and we're going to continue to be nationally recognized. Yeah, I think it's clear that uh, you know you really are committed to the program and, and want to see it uh, through and, and be successful. And I think that uh, it bodes well for your future outlook. And uh, you know, talk about getting out in the community and meeting new people. Uh, that's something I love to do in a hockey sense. And and the people at my hockey resource are the same way. And, uh, you know, Ian Beckenstein has created a program there that allows people to connect at different levels, whether it's NHL people, people junior A or, or just fans of the game. So for anyone looking to learn uh, new things about the game and connect with new people, be sure to check out my hockey resource on Twitter and Instagram. Brent, one of the things they do on there a lot is talk about different resources that they like to look at, whether it's books, articles, podcasts, softwares, all these different things that can help them in the game and learn new ideas. Uh, for you personally, what are some of your favorites in that area that you can share with listeners uh, that they might have an interest in as well? Yeah, I think, you know, I think I've used the silver lining term um, a couple times right now considering this pandemic. But if that's if if something positive has came out of this, it's my newfound interest in personal development, I guess, outside of hockey, too, I, I think what really challenged me at the start of the pandemic was, you know, I got into something as simple as road cycling just to try to take care of my body a bit more. Um, you know, I ended up uh, reading a lot more, listening to podcasts. Um, you know, the can't hurt me book by David Goggins was one of the first ones I read. And I think that just internally uh, challenged me and almost made me cry at times because it was a very, very hard book. Um, but, you know, then reading, uh, um, you know, like I, I'm, I'm big on, on the personal development side of things, but trying to get outside of just the overall hockey world. But, you know, it's, it's very easy to just grab all the coaching books in which I have, you know, you've read the Pat Quinn's, the Pat Burns, the Brian Kilray's, the Mike Babcock books. Um, you know, I just read the Nick Kiprios book, um, the Curtis Joseph book. And there's a lot of those where you can read kind of the biographies of understanding those people and being able to relate. But then, you know, reading a book, uh, you know, like the Simon Sinek books or, you know, uh, start with why that's a real one that challenges you to remember your reasoning as to why you do things. Um, you know, a book called atomic habits. Uh, the guy's name is James something forgetting his last name right now, but that's one that, that focuses more on kind of your, your small percentages and how do you increase your daily success in, in small increments rather than focusing on the big picture. Um, and the list can go on. I think there was a streak where I was reading two books a week with throughout the October, November, because there's nothing else to do at this point, right, Ryan? Like, you, know, you may as well sit and bury yourself in a book. But, um, you know, I, I, I was big into podcasts, but I was also, I loved listening to, to the 31 Thoughts with Elliot Friedman and, and Jeff Merrick. That's just a fun hockey talk. And, and you know, my fiance laughs at me because when we watch hockey, I always say my favorite part is the pregame and the intermissions. And because I just love hearing them talk, discuss, debate. Um, so I listen to a lot of that and, and I got two dogs that need to go for runs and walks. And so 
taking them around, listening to a podcast makes it pretty easy. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I think uh, podcasts, you know, hopefully people are listening, uh, are interested in this one, but I was going to say, this is a good plug for a podcast since we're on one. Yeah, (laughs) for sure. And, uh, but no, I I love the 31 thoughts as well and Mm -hmm. and other hockey podcasts and podcasts outside of sport. And like you said, there's so many resources that aren't hockey or sports specific that you can learn about just coaching or leadership and, and all these different areas. But a lot of things that you learn in books, uh, you know, you can't learn uh, the same unless you talk to the actual people and a lot of times that can be through mentorship or just friends in the game and, and in life so going through your career I know you mentioned some different people but once again talk about some of those major mentors who mm-hmm. have had an impact on your career and just talk about some of the major lessons that they taught you collectively yeah so you, you can go kind of all the way back if you want through your minor hockey days like my family's been very supportive my mom and dad have been great my uncle was a hockey player and a coach growing up so he used to always teach me kind of some ins and outs and he was an old school player too. So sometimes he taught me how to properly can opener guys and, and just some things on the ice where we'd go on the outdoor rink and he was actually really funny. He used to have his, uh, his palms cut so he could grab guys jerseys with his bare hands through the palm of his glove and just little tidbits that I'm not saying I would encourage as a coach, Ryan, but what I am saying is that, you know, obviously we, I learned some things from him, but in saying that, you know, progressing into my hockey days, like I had Dave McQueen as a coach for four years in Sarnia uh, from start to finish. Greg Walters was my assistant coach for three years. And then, Trevor Latowski for one year. I'm still in touch with Trevor and Greg, and, and I spoke with Dave via email a couple of years ago as well. And so, um, actually, I think he just followed me on Twitter the other day. So, big day. Um, but then, even speaking more recently, you know, I think, again, you know, not to toot his horn too much, but Patrick Grandmatra um, is a guy that he and I speak a lot. And, and it segues actually nicely after what you said about personal development, because I think he challenged me in that sense where, you know, I was always big on, you know, going to the coaching site conferences and then going to the OHL conferences and, and always doing that side of things. But he was a guy that when he got home, like it was, he's turning hockey off and he's focusing on something else. And so, um, you know, like we, from a program standpoint, we wanted to learn more about the New Zealand all blacks. And so we read the book legacy uh, as, as a group. And that was something that we really dove back on as a, as a group when tough times were kind of happening for you, Ottawa. And so if it was, if it wasn't for Pat, I don't know if I ever would have gotten into, kind of self-help books and self-reflection books. Um, and even just with today's day and age with, you know, mental health challenges and going through a pandemic, like that was something that he really pushed for me was focusing on myself and, and listening to podcasts, creating daily routines, um, which, you know, it's very easy to during a pandemic when you're staying at home to sleep till 10 and go to bed at 2 a.m. But, you know, that's something that everybody should avoid. And so I owe a lot to him. Um you know, and, and I got a guy who's probably one of my best buddies and, and he, uh, I'm actually supposed to be going biking with him this afternoon. So this should be interesting, but his name's Nathan Charlitty. And so everybody knows Nate. Um, I don't like to toot his horn any more than I probably already have. Uh, that guy is one of the most, I think, well-regarded individuals to come out of the OHL in the last, I'd say 15 to 20 years. Um, he is a med school student. He has two degrees already. He's an author. He has played for two, two incredible programs in St. Effects and McGill. Um, I brought him on as an assistant in U Ottawa just because I wanted him around as a person with the group. Um, so is he a mentor? No, and I will never give him that title or that satisfaction that he has ever mentored me. But he is a guy that, that if, you, if you follow his habits and if you follow how he operates his day-to-day, you can learn something in a positive way. And so it's actually funny when I've been building my staff here with Carlton Place, I've actually been pitching to some guys the, the idea of what Nathan was to us at U Ottawa where – you know, one hour of Nathan Charlotte a month was better than zero hours of Nathan Charlotte. So if you can only be around once, that's great. Um, and so 
again, not a mentor, <laughs> but uh, he's a guy that uh, for sure you can learn some good habits from. Yeah, you can really learn from from multiple people. And I know mentorship or a mentor is kind of a, um, you know, something just as a title or definition, but I think peer to peer mentors, uh, you know, family members, all these different people that have an impact uh, kind of play into the development of your career and mm-hmm. kind of get you where you are today. And now in a position where you've kind of been in the game for a while and you know, a lot of these listeners on the podcast are students, maybe people who are 20, 21 years old, former players kind of making that transition. Having had that experience yourself and gone through that journey, what's one final piece of advice that you would give someone in hopes that they'd be successful in the game, kind of just getting started? Yeah, you know what? It's 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 incredible. I said it to someone the other day that I couldn't believe I'm, I'm going into my 10th year of coaching already, um, which which is fantastic. Don't get me wrong. Uh, but again, I, I don't think I'm old. I, I think some people will call me a dinosaur. Some people think I'm still young. But I will say this is that you have to you have to embrace the grind. And that was something that I said to somebody a couple of years ago, because, you know, again, the, the, the world is changing here where a lot of people sometimes will look at something and they'll, they'll try to value their time versus, versus money, or they'll say, you know, uh, volunteering is just, is not worth it in some, some aspects. But when you're in the coaching world, the sporting world in general, it'll never add up. Your, your time invested versus whatever you make will never add up unless you're at the top of the top and you're making, you know, hundreds of thousands or millions of dollars, it'll, it'll never equate to um, minimum wage, I guess we could say. But what I will say is this, is that if you embrace the grind, uh, you enjoy it, you use it as a passion, passionate outlet, I would say too. Um, because, you know, uh, the real world is tough. So if you work a nine to five job and you want to coach junior hockey on the side of it, you got to understand that it's going to be a lot of work, but it can also be a way to kind of fuel and feed your passion. And that was something that I did for the start. Did I envision you know, hockey being the rest of my life. I knew I would always be a part of it. Um, that I envisioned being an owner. No, at the time. Um, but I ended up getting transitioned into a full-time coaching position because I embraced it at a young age. And I knew that 80 hour weeks were normal. I knew that you'd work nine to five and you got to hop on a bus to head to Pembroke on a Wednesday. I knew that that's what you had to do, but I used it because I enjoyed it and I loved it. Um, the hockey world's incredible. It's something that's, you know, like I, I have phone calls daily with, with guys who I played with, who I've coached, um, you know, even just with social media these days, you're always messaging people just across the world. And it's incredible. Like Ryan, I, I don't, I don't know you at all. And, and we can have a conversation for hours. It's just the way that this world is built. Um, so for young people wanting to get in the game, there's no better, there's no better game. It's, it's the best way for you to get involved. It's the best way for you to feel that reward, whether it's from the grassroots level um, all the way up to, you know, to university. Um, you know, like I got guys who are having kids, I got guys who are, you know, getting married, getting engaged, moving on to pro hockey. It's, it's incredible to see. So, you know, again, I kind of beat around the bush there a little bit for as far as what the question was, Ryan, but, um, you got to embrace the fact that it's tough, but man, it's worth it at the end of the day. It's, uh, it's incredible. I, I, there is not a single day that I'm not excited to get up and work and it's a grind, but Hey, uh, I would much rather, Sling 65 hours a week working in the hockey world than doing anything else. That's for sure. Yeah, I, I agree with you there. I think, uh, you know, the hours are definitely not uh, nine to five at any stretch of the imagination. And I think anybody who comes in thinking that is uh, going to be sadly mistaken. But mm-hmm. uh, like you said, uh, you know, when you're getting up early in the morning, going on the ice, it really isn't a job. And mm-hmm. the fact that you can pay some bills or make ends meet uh, doing that is it's uh, it's almost you know, surreal at moments. So Mm -hmm. I think that's a great piece of advice and at the same time, a great way to end the podcast interview. So 
Brent, I just want to thank you once again for joining me today. Uh, early rise, uh, kind of getting in an interview, but uh, you know, well worth it. I, I enjoyed the conversation and hopefully things uh, continue to progress in Ontario and get better and you're able to get back in the ring. So I wish you all the best moving forward. Fantastic. Thanks, Ryan. Support for the Hockey Minds podcast is brought to you by Manscaped, who is the best in men's below-the-waist grooming. Manscaped offers precision-engineered tools for your family jewels, and Manscaped is trusted by over 2 million men worldwide. Join the movement for all your below-the-waist grooming needs. Big news, Manscaped just launched in Canada, and for those listeners in Canada, and I know there's a lot of you, you can be one of the first Canadians to experience their life-changing products. Everybody has had that experience where the trimming has not gone right, and we want to change that. So get with Manscaped, who has redesigned the electric trimmer. Their third-generation trimmer features a cutting-edge ceramic blade to reduce grooming accidents, and when I tell you this is premium, this is premium. The battery will last up to 90 minutes, so you can take a longer shave, and the waterproof technology allows you to groom in the shower. Throw in one of the coolest features, which is the LED light, which illuminates grooming areas for a closer and more precise trimming experience. They've also upgraded to a 7000 RPM motor with quad stroke technology, and let's not forget about the charging stand. Show your mower off loud and proud, because this intelligently designed stand is a convenient charging dock powered by USB, and if you are listening to me speak right now, I want you to experience it firsthand for yourself. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code HockeyMinds at Manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at Manscaped.com using the code HockeyMinds. It's time to shave those balls, eh? I'd like to thank Brent for taking some time out of his schedule and joining me on the podcast today. I did not know Brent before the conversation, but was able to learn a lot from speaking with him, and I feel as if he has a great program in place for the next crop of Canadians players. If you would like to get in touch with Brent to learn about his experiences, I encourage you to reach out to him directly, or you can contact HockeyMindsPodcast at Outlook.com, and I can help make that connection for you. Next on the podcast, I'll be joined by Roger Shannon, president of the Fredericton Red Wings, and Assistant General Manager with the Aki Bathurst T-10. With a lot of managerial experience, the conversation should provide a lot of insight, so keep an eye out for that release. Once again, I'd like to thank everyone for continually listening to the podcast, and be sure to check out our social media platforms as well as our website for more content moving forward. As always, stay safe, and all the best. <music>